exactly and like you said a lot of these projects are bankrolled by banks right so if they really didn't want that to happen if they didn't want the infrastructure Mm -hmm. first off two things have to occur right one the banks fund these projects uh you know through investment dollars and everything and number two the governments have to license these projects you can't just start building import and export terminals that cost two three four five billion dollars a piece you know in our piece yeah in our uh southeastern coast and then be putting them all over asia and europe and everything else unless one all these governments agree to them and two the banks are going to bankroll them so they could stop it immediately if they wanted to because the governments are in their pocket we know that so the governments would just not issue the licenses to be able to do it and the permits to be able to do it it would just end and number two the banks don't bankroll them these companies they have profits coming but they don't have enough to fund all this type of uh, infrastructure build out so i mean that's how you know it's a scam and so I, i just want to point out to the audience again too whether they're successful by creating the grift, the illusion of uh, climate change and everything, enforcing through a UBI, a central bank digital currency, whether it's five years from now, 15 years from now, or 20 years from now, the big point here is that they know that fossil fuels will continue to be the leading energy source once they have that system in place anyway. That's like, it's just a big illusion that they're creating, but they know at the end of the day, oil and gas are still going to be uh, the number one energy source. Correct? Right. 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 Let's continue. Scroll down. Keep going? Uh, Yeah. All right. All right, folks. We're just scrolling okay, down so through this document. Remember, they they talked about how they got to they got to have multiple scenarios. So it says here some scenarios rely on the rapid development of existing technologies to respond to increasing demand for energy, while others focus on the potential reduction in energy demand to be achieved through energy efficiency and modification of existing behaviors. Social engineering. Hey, at least they admit yep. it. Right. So here's a, uh, a a graph, 2,100 primary energy mix. They have baseline scenarios and two degrees Celsius scenarios <laughs> for coal, oil, gas, nuclear, biomass, and renewables. And what does my note say? Your note says uh, 33% reduction in total energy. What is that? Depopulation, forced, reduced energy demand via smart cities, still not enough lithium, cobalt, nickel, graphite, etc. Yep. So it's it's pretty interesting here that the B, the Bank of International Settlements has gone into, the, and this is just one document, has gone to this level of detail, but excluded the detail on the minerals and metals to produce wind and solar and quote-unquote renewable or replaceable energy, they've left those details out that we saw in the geology survey of Finland. How convenient. Yeah, definitely. So it says here, global investments needed to uh, in sustainable infrastructure for the period 2015 to 2030 range from less than 20 trillion to close to 100 trillion. Jesus. All right, wait. Notes, uh, Global investment needed in sustainable infrastructure 
for the period, it's a 15-year period, range from less than $20 trillion to close to $100 trillion. <laughs> uh, no wonder the banksters need a CBDC slavery system. <laughs> That's what you have there. <laughs> $100 trillion they want to spend on building this out? Wow. Oh, it's more than that. So if you remember that when we first started this series, I had the... Uh... Uh, I created a Word document with common themes throughout these documents, and one yes. of the themes was we need we the bankers need a lot of money, a lot more money, and we need it now. Yeah. Well, I don't. What do they need? They say they need more money. They're the bankers. They could just print the money. That's true. Wait until you see when it's CBDC, though. It's going to be much easier because now they're just minting uh, tokens in cyberspace. See, they need the money right. to pay you and I to go out there and build the infrastructure for them. Well, once it's CBDC, they don't even need uh, paper to print the dollar bills on. They just mine tokens in their server, <laughs> and then they send it out to mm -hmm. you, and you go to work and help them build this. Unbelievable. Yep. So they write here, scenarios should be considered illustrative and exploratory, in other words, theories, rather than definitive it's important to remember that scenarios represent plausible future pathways under uncertainty. Uh, again, we're making it up. We're guessing. We don't really know. Uh, scenarios are not associated with probabilities, nor do they represent a collective, collectively exhaustive set of potential outcomes or actual forecast. I, I mean, that whole sentence just says we're, we're guessing here, folks. Yeah, no, give us all the money. No, that's great, because that's uh, behind all the other stuff that we've seen when I'd point out to you where it said, um, whatever it may be, like, drilling a hole in the ground could produce billions of dollars, like, could. That's what this is, right? right? So consider yeah. illustrative and exploratory. Or it's, or it's CYA. See, we told you we weren't, we weren't sure. We didn't, we didn't really know. Yeah, we said could. We could do it. Right. The results this is, are, this is a quote, folks. The results are subject to a high degree of uncertainty and cannot be allocated pro, pro, and cannot be allocated probabilities of occurrence, i.e. they should be assessed with extreme caution by finance supervisors engaged in financial stability monitoring. So <laughs> this, this is, so they're saying all of, scroll back up. So what the BIS is telling you, a little higher, is that all of the scenarios they ran have a high degree of uncertainty, but we have to force policy change on the entire planet. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's, that's great. I mean, it's great that you find this. And as far as you know, based on everything you've researched, I mean, you're the only person that's brought all this up, right? I mean, in detail like this? Well, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I mean, I listen to you and, and Mike Moore and Catherine Austin Fitz, and that's, I don't listen to everybody else. So I don't know that no one else has done it, but. But as far as this, because so. this, because this kind of fits in with, uh, I mean, this fits in with your industry, you know, with your, with your profession. Um, if anyone's out there, at least in sort of the niche of trying to expose this technocratic system, I mean, Catherine and then John Titus and others, I mean, as far as you know, those are the only people that cover this type of stuff consistently, right? And and try to go right. deeper than most? Right. Because you're a member so of uh, Catherine's uh, Solari, right? I am, yeah. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. So they're telling you here that after the introduction of the EU emissions trading scheme, uh, there's that word again, they like to use the word scheme, uh, in 2005, some electricity generators were able to pass through more than 100% of the cost increase to consumers. <laughs> I.e. So, okay. All right. So now they're, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. A little while ago, we read that they're saying that the temperature rise is, going, is causing inflation. And now they're telling us that when they implemented a scheme, a policy scheme, that the electricity generators passed through the increased cost, in other words, what they had to pay for that scheme, to consumers. So the inflation came from the scheme and the policies implemented, not the temperature. Which is it? <laughs> uh, see, that's the thing. They always... Uh... They always do. They Folks, end up this always was doing in this. Twenty pages. They they talked out of both sides of their mouth in twenty pages. Mm-hmm. They do it live on stage in a matter of uh, from sentence to sentence. If you want, watch them. Yeah. Right. Just highlight the the note there, if you can. The comment. Yeah, I'm trying. It says, uh, can we sue the United Nations, the IPCC, the Bank for International Settlements, and governments for using or creating fund, uh, fraudulent climate change, quote, modeling, end quote, to influence policies that lead to higher costs to consumers? Yeah, remember, they just told you that there's a, all of their modeling has a high degree of uncertainty, but they're forcing it on you anyways. And it's going to rack, you know, jack up the. That's going to really cause the inflation, not the the climate itself. So, can we sue them? Probably not. No, and and that's the like. And think of it in terms of COVID land, the high school third of production. This would be like, and I'm not saying this doesn't exist. I've just never looked. But this would be like the CDC saying uh, before the vaccines were rolled out that they have data that proves there's a high probability that the vaccines won't work. In fact, they may cause you to get cancer and die. Yet we're going to mandate it, shove it down your throats, and force you to get it. And then, and you find right. it later, like Jim is doing with these, and it says there's this high probability that these things are going to kill you, and they won't actually stop uh, COVID, but we're going to force you to do it anyway. <laughs> and then you yeah. find out you can't sue them because good luck trying to sue the government, you know, in any meaningful way, and you can't sue right. the pharmaceutical companies, and you can't sue all the people in the supply chain down to the little guy at the CVS parking lot that shoved it in your arm. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this stuff is damning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. All right, so. Climate uh, vulnerable countries exhibit a higher cost of debt on average. All right, well, what's the cost of debt mean? That's an interest rate, right? Who sets the interest rate on the debt? <laughs> the uh, Your bankster friends. Exactly. Climate vulnerable uh, countries exhibit a higher cost of debt on average. I mean, that's fantastic. Why? Because they're they're punishing them. There's no climate vulnerable either. It's just this is all to help steal everything. That's why they're economic terrorists. <laughs> yeah, climate vulnerable sovereigns, which happen to also happen to be poorer countries on average. There you go. And then further on down says another risk may have to do with the development of financial products in response to climate related risks, such as weather derivatives. 
Let's create uh, more, more made up a- assets, if you will, and I put that in air quotes, so to create more fees for the Wall Street banksters. Great. I'm trying to understand how uh, the the poorer countries that have less technology than we do, China does, etc., are actually create are more of a climate risk when they're actually using less technology that actually creates all of the climate problems. I, I'm I'm trying to figure that one out. How they get away with that? Yeah. Like it's like it's like saying that group of uh, Native Americans there living on that land with the teepee, major climate polluters. But over here, our electrical grid, nah, no, nah, that's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And and plowing down every tree on the planet to get to lithium, all the lithium and cobalt and graphite and uh, that we can find is is totally okay. Well, it's fine because we offset that with a one acre plot of land that we have over here with a couple of trees on it. <laughs> so no, they got to plow all the trees. They got to get to that lithium. <laughs> no, no, they, we got to plow all the trees to get to the lithium. But we're going to balance that out with this one acre piece of land we have over here, yeah, where okay. we le- we left yeah. three trees on it. So that's our balance. We just <laughs> we just issue carbon credits to each other. <laughs> yeah, keep scrolling. This is more. It's 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 comical. But you know the deeper yeah, this you go down I kept this telling, road, yeah, this is what I kept saying in earlier episodes that you know people at coffee shops think I'm some lunatic because I'm reading these documents and I just break out laughing because <laughs> it's so comical. Okay, it policy is. responses. Now this is interesting. So this is policy responses to the models that have a high degree of uncertainty. Keep that in mind, folks. This is the theory of knowledge. <laughs> theory. Central of banks knowledge. are coordinating agents in the in the age of climate uncertainty. Why? Why are the central banks the coordinating agents in the age of climate uncertainty? Why? Why is it not the meteorologist? Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. Like we said, they are the captain planets. Yeah. You can keep scrolling. You know, Bo Lee. I mean, you've just seen him come out with a Captain Planet costume on. I'm here to save the planet. <laughs> no. My name right, is hang on. Bo I Lee. Read, I, want, I want to read this one. Hang on. Just go back. Yeah, there you go. Central banks cannot succumb to the growing social demand, arguing that given the severity of climate-related risk and the role played by central banks following the 2007-2008 great financial crisis, Central banks could now substitute for many, if not all, government interventions. For instance, pressures have grown to have central banks engage in different versions of, quote, green quantitative easing, end quote, in order to, quote, solve, end quote, the the complex socioeconomic problems related to a low carbon transition with our models that have a high degree of uncertainty. I added the last part there, folks. (laughs) I know, but um, this is crazy. The banks are declaring themselves. That, like, see, here it is now. The banks are saying we're going to yep. supersede government intervention yep. because we are going to intervene. I mean, that's what they're saying right here. I mean, they're yeah, saying, they're saying we're going to intervene. concerning the, the green quantitative easing could be seen as an attempt to define a third role for central banks through a more explicit and active support of green fiscal policy. Without denying the re- reality of evolutionary perspectives on central banking, 
uh, and the fact that climate change could perhaps be the catalyst of new evolutions, the focus on central banks as the main agents of the transition is risky for many reasons, including potential market distortions and the risk of overburdening central banks' existing mandates. More fundamentally, mandates can evolve, but these changes in mandates and institutional agreements are also very complex issues because they require new socio-political equilibria, <laughs> reputation, and credibility. Central banks are not elected officials, and they should not replace or bypass the necessary debates in civil society. <laughs> then why are they trying to force policy? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're trying to coerce everybody into this system. But then they're, they're sitting yeah. there saying, well, wait a second. Uh, we have to be careful here. We do have to respect yeah. those elected officials. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, so they... And they write here, to overcome this deadlock, we advocate a third position. Without aiming to replace policymakers and other institutions, central banks must also be more proactive in calling for broader and coordinated change. <laughs> okay, That's wait good. a minute. I'm just going to, this is the middle of the sentence. So they don't want to replace the policymakers. They just want to tell them what to do. <laughs> exactly. In order keep... to continue fulfilling their own mandates of financial and price stability over longer time horizons than those traditionally considered, the risks posed by climate change offer central banks a special perspective that private players and policymakers cannot necessarily adopt given their respective interest in time horizons. It's got to be the bankers in control, folks. That's what they're telling you. Yes. Central banks have an advantage in terms of proposing new policies associated with new actions in order to contribute to the societal debates that are needed. We believe that they can best contribute to this task in a role that we call the five C's. We saw this earlier, contribute to coordination to combat climate change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um... Uh, as we detail in chapter 4.1, uh, we recall that central banks, supervisors, and regulators have a role to play through prudential, prudential regulation related to their financial stability mandate. However, while assessing and supervising climate-related risk is essential, it should be part of a much broader political response aimed at eliminating the economy's dependence on carbon-intensive activities where central banks cannot and should not become the only players to step forward. So which is it? Are they in control or not in control? They're talking again out of both sides of their mouth, and they're telling you they want to completely get rid of uh, carbon-intensive activities, which is they know is not true. They want to, they want to reduce the dependent, dependence on it to drive in the carbon credit system. Yeah, exactly. They and they're saying, like right, and they're admitting right there, you know, the, supposedly their uh, policy mandate, which is, you know, managing the money and the financial stability of a nation. And then, but then they're tying yeah. the climate change to that, saying that climate change can disrupt, that's what all of this been, has been about, disrupt the financial stability. Therefore, they have to really be the leaders of this, and they have to force the politicians, the elected officials and such, to get on board with it, because it is, in fact, their responsibility to manage climate change, because climate change is going to affect 
the financial stability of the countries in which they have the central banks. That's basically what they're yeah, trying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's essentially plausible deniability, right? They can say, uh, well, so-and-so politician enacted this, not us, when in fact they told the politician to do it. Exactly. I mean, this is like if they if they decided, let's say the world really was left, right and political, they could come out and say, well, the Republican Party, if they're elected, really would affect the financial stability of, let's say, the United States. Therefore, we're going to have to step in and do something about that, because it's our job to protect the financial stability. (laughs) Right. Brilliant. They go on to say that uh, better coordination of fiscal, monetary and prudential and uh carbon regulations is essential carbon regulations are coming folks mm-hmm. yeah and it says it says right there central to successfully successfully support an environmental transition especially yep. at the zero lower bound yeah there's the five and, c's again we don't need to go through that and and jim i just want we talked about it back in episode uh i think in 80 and 88 and you brought it up a little earlier about Elon Musk carbon credits. I just wanted to clarify for people that are just tuning into this, because a lot of people don't realize this is going on. There's already a carbon credit system in play in inside many industries. We talked about it in relationship to the King Ranch, the largest uh, cattle ranch. You had documents from them where they were openly supporting, uh, you know, carbon credit system that gets shoved down on top of all the small uh mom and pop farms the independent farms the ranchers like uh the guest justin was talking about in episode 130 so for people that don't know there's already uh early iterations of the carbon credit system in many industries right yeah we went through a document from the uh energy information agency um it was the regional something up in the northeast it's a carbon tax where you get so many tons of co2 that you can emit this is just util- electric utilities. And once, you, once you're over that threshold, you have to pay an extra tax. The utility does, which they then pass that cost on to consumers. Yeah, and then in the case of uh, Elon Musk and Tesla, so who is issuing him the carbon credits? Is that coming from some branch of the United the States government? No, it's the banksters. So the banksters are doing it. Now, you said uh before um so they issue him they have a whole system they have a whole system it's the banks and government and coordination regulators or whatever okay so it'd be like classified under some bogus public private partnership kind of thing yeah yeah okay and then that's been going on because musk has been doing that business model with the carbon credits for years right five years six years yeah Yeah. okay Mm -hmm. All right, you know what? I'll dig into that on some show just to to go over it because I think I think a lot of people don't realize that it's actually this isn't just all theory. This stuff is slowly coming into practice. Right, they're forcing their theory of knowledge on everybody. <laughs> the theory of knowledge. <laughs> I'm gonna make a new opening for my show. This is the theory of knowledge. Um, all right, did you want to go through this charter? Now, we've already talked about the five C's. Now, what is that note I have there? By force. Okay, so this is uh, climate-related risk will remain unhedgeable as long as system-wide transformations are not undertaken, which we read that. So what they want to do is they want to integrate ESG into central banks' own portfolios. 
exploring the potential impacts of sustainable approaches in the conduct of financial stability policies when deemed compatible with existing mandates, carbon pricing, systemization of ESG practices in the private sector means they want to force every country, every company into ESG um, departments and regulations and reports they have to run and all this other crap. Yeah, and let me let me ask you, uh, just to clarify for folks, do you think that whole uh, ESG stuff, right? Obviously, the big companies, the major corporations, that uh, you know are majority controlled, but like we said, by the sort of the henchmen, by the BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street, whatever. All those major companies can easily comply with this, right? It's the the medium and small businesses are not going to be able to comply, yeah. and that, so it drives them out of business, which would be probably right. the main reason to do all this, correct? Not necessarily out of business, but it forces them either out of business or to sell to a bigger fish. Yeah. Okay. Yes, they can. They can end up absorbing it and centralizing control mm-hmm. of that industry. But so it, it drives them out of business or forces it them drives consolidation. to sell. It drives and consolidation. Then, right. Consolidation, and then on top of it, it also drives up consumer costs on products because these companies have to take on additional yep. costs to open up these departments. Yep. And then they'll just uh, say, oh, I'm sorry, folks. That's just more inflation. <laughs> right. Caused by the temperature. Like, caused by the temperature that we made up, that we put all these policies into place to drive up the cost. So this is how it all works. They're driving up the cost by blaming it on climate change that they invented in order to drive up the cost. <laughs> I mean, all of, the, all of this nonsense is wrapped up in that one sentence that all of they said. They openly admit all of our models have a high degree of uncertainty. Yep, exactly. Uh, are we going through this or going to skip past this? Nah, uh, let's skip past this. See if okay. we can finish this document today. Uh, keep going. Climate stress test in the banking system. They're already doing that. Um, I talked about that on one of the hot wires with Mike. They had like, I don't know, some of the big banks and a couple of the big regional banks where they, they'd set up this. Uh, this is wild. So they, all the employees got this email saying, uh, you, you have to, we're going to do this test. Like there's alarms going to go off, uh, you know, like a tornado alarm or something uh, on the, this. So it's such and such a date and you have to call in and let us know that you're a safe and B where you are. It was all climate related. Really? Like some massive storm is going to wipe out the entire banking system. What? I, I don't get it. <laughs> it's all nonsense. Yeah. That's what they did. No, but that, but that's, that's all, um, that's all social engineering. Like we said, they have to create a buy-in. They have to make the illusion real, you know, drive everyone into the live action role play, just like with COVID, right? That's like pulling an alarm yeah. and saying, we're going to do a thing that a COVID outbreak occurred here at the bank, ladies and gentlemen. And then these people go back home and they say to their family, like, oh, we did this COVID drill. We did this climate drill. It's like, that's what makes it real. Like you said, when you're driving down the highway in Texas and you see a bunch of windmills, and that's all part of the marketing. That's all the branding. That's what makes it actually mm-hmm. appear to be real. Yep. All right. Let's take a look here. I love it. These guys are brilliant. I'm telling you. In theory, if climate stress tests find that the climate-related risks are material, systemic capital buffers could be applied to mitigate the exposure. There, there you go. I'm having a climate drill. If you hear that <laughs> the siren in the background. <laughs> 
Sorry, folks. It's just the bridge on the intercoastal waterway is going to go up for a boat to pass under. Anyways, we continue. Uh, but in practice, the main use of these scenarios at this stage is to help financial institutions familiarize themselves with such exercises and to potentially create catalytic change as well as gaining experience through learning by doing. It's all made up. Jim, do you know when they when they issue these, like who's the who's the uh, core audience for this? Like, does this come out of the BAS and then go to the governors of the central banks, and then that gets passed down to like managers? Yeah, is that the I'm type sure of people it does. That be but I don't this? know for a fact. No, but it I would imagine like I, I that's who it's written for. It's not written for you or me. No, of course not. Yeah. Uh, keep going. What page are we on? We're on uh, 60. Wait, man, we're not going to finish this one today. All right, so <laughs> let's keep going here. All right, you want me to go it's past gonna this? It's going to take four episodes to go through a 100-page document. There's so much information. Yeah, I'll read this. So if being exposed to climate-related risk is seen as part of financial risk, then it might be appropriate to consider capital requirements to reflect, reflect such risk. In this respect, proposals have emerged in favor of either a green supporting factor which would reduce capital requirements for banks with lower exposure to climate-related risk, or a brown penalizing factor, which would increase capital requirements for banks with higher exposure to, ex to exposed sectors. In other words, if Bank A uh, loans to solar and wind companies, they, they don't have to keep as much money on hand in reserves. If Bank B loans to oil and gas companies, they have to keep more money on hand in reserves and less for loans, meaning Bank ah. B earns less profit and Bank A earns more profit. Thus, Bank B goes out of business because they can't make a profit. They have to keep more money in reserves, which is not earning a, a rate of return. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Are we going to uh, go down? Or, uh... Oh, yeah. So they continue, uh, although additional research is needed because we're at a high degree of uncertainty, it seems that dis discussions are evolving towards favoring a brown penalizing factor as more appropriate. Exposure to brown assets can increase financial risk, but it is not obvious why being exposed to green sectors would necessarily reduce non-climate-related financial risk and thereby justify lower capital requirements. In any case, regulations based on distinguishing green from brown assets require working on an agreed-upon taxonomy, defining which assets are, can be considered green or brown if the goal is to penalize exposure to fossil fuels. China has already established a definition for green loans, and the European Commission has tabled a legislative pr proposal to develop such taxonomy. In other words, we all have to agree what's green and what's brown. 